Have you ever tried to participate in one of those? If you only had an hour, day, year left to live, what would you do scenarios? You know, the reality is we can imagine, but we never really can fully prepare for that. As if death is something a person always foresees coming and gets plenty of time to plan for. Well, in today's episode, we're going to look at what Jesus does and doesn't do in his final hours on earth as the Son of Man and what he role models for us. And it is packed with all kinds of valuable information for how we live in the day-to-day, whether we know that we have a short time left or not. All right, stay tuned. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. You know, walking through the Bible, which is the focus of the podcast this year, it's not just to check off a Bible study box or say, okay, we've had our devotion time, but to see how do we fully engage in God's grand story? Because it is a grand and remarkable and significant story that we are a part of. You know, every story that you have ever seen as a, as a play, as a movie, every story you've ever read or listened to as a book, it has a plot that in some way echoes part of God's grand story. We don't study the Bible so we can just be inspired for a few hours or days with, with some story or quote. But because it is God's breath made visible, it is God's heart and his wisdom made seeable in letters. It is what empowers us to live aligned with truth because it is only truth that frees a person to be and become their true and best self. Today, we're going to see how Jesus dealt with some things that we encounter in our lives. Things like betrayal by a close confidant, feeling troubled over a situation that he was facing, trying to bring people together and unify them that he knew he only had a short time with, you know, trying to prepare his children for what he knew lay ahead of them and by extension, for us as his followers. So as you listen today, tune in with the perspective that you're here to gain insights on how to live your life fully engaged in your role as an indispensable part of God's grand story. So we're looking today in our um, Gospel of John, the study that we've been doing now for a while, and Jesus is just ours away from his arrest, where he will be beaten, he will be humiliated, shamed, crucified, tortured, and then his death. So what does he spend his time doing in these final hours? 
He is preparing his disciples, his followers, his children for what they are going to face. He doesn't say, hey, great Passover meal, guys. Thanks so much. Hey, I'm running off now to go spend time with my father. He's not going out to the crowds. He's not going door to door, performing miracles in some last-ditch effort to get more followers. He is focused on the people who have walked with him for the last three and a half years. He's making his investment pool deeper, not wider. And specifically in chapter 13, we see these things. First of all, Jesus knows his origin, his upcoming trial, and his ultimate destination. You know, this isn't filler information that God inspired John to record just to meet some divine word count. When it talks about that Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going, that's significant. And because it tells us something along those lines more than once, it's really important for us to take notice of this. You know, how we as individuals see our origin and destination will profoundly influence how we meet the trials that we face in the here and now. And I don't just mean origin in the sense of where people originated being made in God's image or evolved from um, monkeys or water molecules or whatever, But I mean origin in the sense of our unique, personal, one-of-a-kind, family of origin stories. Really grasping where we came from is crucial to our identity, our character formation, and the ability to live out our callings. You know, sometimes people stay away from exploring their upbringing because they think it's all about, you know, blame the parents. But that's not the mindset that we should have. It's actually having the humility to recognize no one is a self-made person. Every person is other-made. This starts with our DNA, which we don't even give ourselves, which gives us not only physical but intellectual and emotional traits and capacities, but it continues with people who are formative in our upbringing, roughly the first 18 years of our life. We can only understand ourselves to the degree that we understand our origin story. And again, this isn't about blaming people. This is about having the humility to to accept that we are other-made people. And if we want to be able to discern, okay, what do we want to keep and what do we want to change about ourselves as we take responsibility for ourselves, then we have to understand our origin stories. You know, in the U.S. and around the world, people are wanting to make more purchases based on knowing, okay, where did this come from? You know, was this coffee ethically sourced? Was this shirt made by employees that were paid a fair wage or by de facto enslaved sweatshop workers? You know, was this furniture crafted in an environmentally sustainable factory? Well, our origin stories are no less significant to evaluate and to understand. Jesus also knew his ultimate destination. It tells us in chapter 13, he knew he was going back to the Father. And again, this isn't just information tossed in there to to add to a divine word count. Everything that is in there is in there for a purpose. The bookends of Jesus' life were clear to him. He knew his destination. 
He knew his origin. He knew his mission on earth as the God-man was wrapping up. Well, he's not flailing about, wondering what he's going to do next. He's not concerned about no longer having a purpose. It was his knowledge that it was time to move on that empowered him to take the next agonizing steps in that direction. The next thing that we see is that Jesus is pouring into his disciples and he's teaching them that their number one priority going forward is to be unified in their mutual love for him. And he first teaches this by an action. He washes their feet. Now, isn't it interesting that it's Peter, it's not Judas Iscariot who cries out, no, 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 Jesus, I'm not worthy of this kindness. It's also interesting that Jesus knows that Judas is going to be leaving in just a, a short time to go and betray him. And even though there are things that Jesus waits to say to his disciples until after Judas has left, he doesn't wait to wash all of their feet until Judas is left, which means Judas was one of those who was also getting his feet washed. Jesus knows that both Judas and Peter are going to betray him in just a a number of, of hours, and he lets them both know in different ways that he knows what's coming. Jesus lets Judas know that he's aware of what Judas is already determined to do, to turn him over to the religious authorities. But Jesus does this in such a way that the other disciples don't even recognize what he's doing. When Jesus talks about somebody's going to betray him, and then later when he tells Judas to to go ahead and, and leave and go on about his business, the Bible tells us that they don't really correlate that Judas is leaving and he's the betrayer. They don't know that until later in the garden when Judas turns out to be the one who betrayed him. Isn't it astounding that Jesus makes no last-minute plea with Judas to change course? Not privately and not in front of the disciples. There's none of this, Judas, you don't know what's coming. You've got to stop. You've got to repent. As a matter of fact, he says just the opposite. Basically, he says, okay, Judas, you've made your decision. Get on with it. This is a powerful and also a dangerous lesson for us. We must take great care in the proper application of this to our personal relationships. In a world that wants to talk about toxic people and, uh, you know, as if everybody is toxic and they, their, our response to toxic people is just to throw them overboard. There, you know, there's, there's a danger in hearing this next thing I'm going to say and, and misapplying it. But simply because there's an abuse of truth doesn't negate the truth. There is a time when we say to someone, you've made your mind up. You've decided what you're going to believe about me, about yourself, about what is right and wrong. So go on with your life. Go on with your decisions. I'm not going to try to stop you or even warn you about the consequences. That's what Jesus essentially does with Judas. 
He lets him just go on with the decision that he's made, and Jesus stays the course, investing in those who had put their trust in him and believed in his divine purpose. Can you imagine the uproar if Jesus had simply pointed to Judas and said, he is going to betray me tonight? I don't think the result would have been love and unity. You see, Jesus knows the other disciples didn't need to be aware of the treachery in their friend's heart at that moment. They would see it for themselves soon enough. What they would later need to know was Jesus wasn't caught off guard by Judas' betrayal, and he wasn't thrown off mission by it either. Eventually, most of us in life experience the betrayal of a close friend and confidant. And one of the things that we are often tempted to do is to let everybody else know right around us in the moment what we've experienced. And Jesus models for us here, we don't have to always let everybody else know how we've been betrayed. The truth has a way of coming out. Jesus also isn't caught off guard by Peter's betrayal later that same night. And when Jesus tells Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, this isn't a statement of condemnation or shame. It's not one of those, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you something, Peter. You know, before the chicken crows, you're going to have denied me three times. That is not what's going on here. Rather, it's for Peter's later benefit. You see, after this does come true, and Peter has denied Jesus three times, Peter's not left wondering, did, did Jesus know I was going to do that? The awareness that Jesus let him know ahead of time doesn't make Peter blow it off or treat it like no big deal, but it does help to bring Peter to repentance, not merely remorse, and that's something we'll talk, talk about later, but it helps Peter to know, hey, Peter, I knew what was coming. I still washed your feet. I still spoke to you. I still invested in you. All through chapters 13 and 14, we see Jesus' entire focus is on preparing his disciples for what they are going to be facing. That's how he actually prepares himself for what he's going to be facing. It's by investing in others. Sometimes when we are facing the hardest situations, the way that we actually strengthen ourselves to deal with them is by pouring into other people, not as a diversion, not as a distraction, not as a poor me, but because it's our way of staying on mission and continuing to live out our faith in Christ. So Jesus knows that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be crucified, and then he knows that in short order, He's going to be leaving them on this earth. And in the midst of all of that, he says, and he tells them this twice, don't let your hearts be troubled. I mean, what? I mean, he's just told them that somebody there is going to betray him. He's just said that Peter's going to betray him three times. He's telling them that he's going to be leaving, going someplace they can't come, and they're not supposed to be upset or afraid. 
ever want to say to one or more of God's instructions, uh, yeah, uh, right. Because I'm guessing that's what his disciples felt. Sure, Jesus, we're not going to be troubled or upset or, or anything by all of this. No, we're just great. Probably not what they were feeling. But even in those times when our thoughts and our feelings are pulling us in one direction, we still can be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to take our thoughts captive and to live aligned with truth. So what happens is when Jesus is giving all of these these last-minute instructions, one of the things that he is uh, focusing on so much is not only that they are to be unified with each other in their love for him, but that will include living out their beliefs with what they actually do. Four times in chapter 14 alone, Jesus says, in in effect, actions are going to demonstrate beliefs. It's not words demonstrate beliefs, but actions. And we've talked about this before in this podcast. You know, actions speak louder than words. That old saying is as true as it ever was. You know, Bob Goff has a book called Love Does, Not Love Says. Our words matter, but if our words contradict our actions, actions tell the truth every single time. Now, doing isn't the same as loving. You can be doing all day long and not have love. And Paul writes famously about that in the um, book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But we can't be loving God without doing. And for that matter, we can't be loving anybody else without doing the actions that demonstrate that along with our words. You know, one of the issues that we're dealing with in the world right now is people making God in their own image by saying things like, well, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but then inventing their own ways of what it means to obey and follow him. Well, in these chapters, Jesus is as plain as plain can be when he says, sorry, and here, I'm totally paraphrasing here. So don't go looking this up word for word because you won't find it. But the spirit of what's being said is this. It doesn't matter what beliefs you claim to have. If your actions, which means doing what God says to do and not doing what God says not to do, don't align with your words, your beliefs aren't beliefs. They're merely claims. And claiming something doesn't make it true. I can walk around all day long saying, I am thin, rich, and beautiful. And you know what? My scales, bank account, and mirror are not going to change one bit. So wrapping up, what, what are some of the key takeaways that we can have from these couple of chapters? Number one, Jesus wasn't thrown off course by Judas' betrayal. And when we experience betrayal, which sooner or later we will, we can feel deeply hurt, but we don't have to be thrown off course, nor do we have to call it to everyone else's attention in the moment. Sooner or later, the truth has a way of coming out, just as it did with Judas. Secondly, sometimes we do give people warnings about choices they're making, just like Jesus did with Peter. 
But the point isn't to shame or condemn, but to let them know we're here to keep on loving them when they have to pick up the pieces. And sometimes we say to someone, okay, you've made your decision. Get on with it. Number three, our words and the the things that we claim to believe or want must be consistent and aligned with each other in order to be true. Otherwise, actions always do speak louder than words. Number four, our unity with those who share our love for Christ is our number one life purpose. Jesus made this so plain in his final teachings to his disciples before his death. And number five, understanding our origin and knowing our destination, not just in some big grand way, but our own individual, unique, one-of-a-kind life way empowers us to live out our callings on earth. All right, my friend. Hey, I want to ask you to leave a review. Don't overthink this. You don't need to go find a thesaurus to find the just right words. You're not writing a book report. But if you find this informative, strengthening, insightful, enriching, thought-provoking, encouraging, I mean, that's all you need to write. You don't have to write a paragraph. Even a couple of sentences can make a big difference. You know, in a world of tens of thousands of podcasts, reviews matter. They help people decide, hey, I think I'm going to give this podcast a try, or no, I'm going to skip this one. I'm going to go over here because somebody else has told me that this one's worth checking out. It's just one insight that can make a significant difference in a person's life. So leave a review. And if you are feeling really inspired and want to excel, then share this podcast with somebody else. You know, you can just do that by writing a short post on your, on your social media site, Facebook page, um, send it on a group text or send it to a friend. Spread the word about God's word that we're walking through this year and help to equip others to engage fully in God's grand story. All right, my friend, you know how I wrap this up every time because it is true. You have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. See you next time. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.